So uh, this evening, we're continuing the uh, study of the Satipatthana Sutta, and we're looking at the second foundation, which is feeling tones. And we are exploring uh, what feelings do for us in terms of setting us up and, uh, and orienting us to a whole context for our lives to unfold. And as I mentioned last week, uh, when I was an undergraduate, we uh, planted some electrodes. I'm not proud of this, by the way, but we planted some electrodes in rats' brains. And uh, to the point where they, if they pushed this little bar, it would stimulate their pleasure center of their brain. And if we were successful in planting that electrode within their brain, they would not stop pressing the bar even to feed and eventually would starve themselves at the bar of pleasure. And I think uh, we have to be very careful that we don't, uh, that we don't just consider that a rat, a rat mentality because um, when we press the, press the pleasure bar of our own nervous system, of our own brain uh, we find that we begin to orient ourselves to pleasure as the central point of our living. The central reason that we exist is to find, discover, and to have pleasure. And that is no different than place, pressing the bar for the rat. We have a broader context in which we can find that pleasure rather than a single place. An addiction, an addicted personality, will try to discover that pleasure within a certain reference, a drug, an activity, sexual activity, or not, but some, some activity, one thing. But we, are, we have more of a generalized addiction uh, where we try to find pleasure within a multiple task, multiple activities, multiple uh, tastes, sensations. But nevertheless, the addiction is the same. It's kind of the point of life. In fact, we can misread the Constitution to think that you know, the pursuit of pleasure rather than the pursuit of happiness, we equate pleasure with happiness and we just think that the pursuit of pleasure is the constitutional right for us. Uh, now, uh, I would su suggest uh, that uh, pleasure is very different than contentment. And that happiness in its clearer definition probably rests closer to the word contentment than it does to the word pleasure. But nevertheless, we uh, pursue our happiness uh, through our pleasure seeking. Uh, and we find ourselves becoming more and more addicted to that need for stimulation in our pleasurable areas. One aspect of pleasure-seeking is finding comfort in our life. And comfort uh, has its own definition, a little different than just pleasure, although it's pleasant. Comfort has a kind of psychic relaxation, uh, sort of a, a non-tension element to it. And it's this form of pleasure, I think, that is the most addicting uh, than any other. And I think that 
uh, we don't even realize how addicted we are to comfort uh, and how important that is to us. Uh, we expect a level of comfort in this culture. We've grown up with a certain level of comfort that far exceeds other cultural uh, norms. And we have the might, military and otherwise, to sustain it. And we're not going to settle for less comfort than what we already have. And I find that there is an edge that we have to comfort based upon our addicted needs for it that really must be looked at because sustaining this level of comfort is essentially impossible given the diminishing resources that we face in our future. And we have an expectation, and this is where it starts getting funny, is because we, it's not just that we have a certain level of comfort available to us, but we expect a certain level of comfort. Now that, what happens is, for most of us, is that with that expectation, there comes a leaning into life, as we mentioned in the last uh, talk, and that leaning into life sets us up uh, for a kind of self-attitude of whether we're successful in, within our expectations of a, procuring the level of comfort and pleasure that we, have, that we have learned to expect, either from our own family dynamics or from the sense of cultural imperative that you can be better than your parents or whatever it might be. And then because uh, successive generations aren't always able to match the level of comfort that their parents had or the level of pleasure, or that we even match our own expectations for what we could become or what we might be, there is a self-worth issue related to our pleasure-seeking that often implodes back on us where we find ourselves feeling uh, self-rejected because we haven't sustained or had the level of comfort that we had wished when we were smaller or as an adult seeing other adults and feeling that we don't have the same level of material wealth or whatever form of comfort that we equate with seeing other people. Now I want to note something here that's very important. Uh, two things actually. One is that this level, this seeking comfort, this seeking pleasure, this seeking the repetition of a feeling of pleasantness is a false nirvana. All right. Whenever we rest, it's, this is a term I'm currently coining, so you're going to hear it for, for a few months until it gets obnoxious to me and then I won't say it anymore. <laughs> but a false nirvana is uh, where we rest with some degree of satisfaction uh, and permanency that we, this is the base, this is the best this dimension can offer and we rest, rest with a certain degree of satisfaction on that dimension. And pleasure-seeking, the resting on pleasantness, is a false nirvana for this level of dimension, for the level of dimension where thought pervades and emotions are our form of, of, um, of perspective on the world. So what how we can move from one dimension of reality to another is to pull the rug out from a false nirvana, to see that the, the assurance of comfort 
is itself uh, insecure, that there is no level of comfort that we can acquire that we can rest and rely upon. And in that way, we keep moving. But if you really believe in your hearts that pleasure is the end of what this worldly life can offer, and in fact, that false nirvana is essentially directed, all your goals are summed up in that word pleasure in some degree or other. <clears throat> uh, and if you can pull your rug out from that, well, you can really see that that's a very tentative relationship to have, very impermanent, Can't, it's not uh, reliable in any way, then we'll move on and we'll look for something deeper and more meaningful. But as long as we really believe that to be where we can be satisfied, where we can assure ourselves to be satisfied, then we're going to be trying to accomplish the impossible, which to is to establish a level of comfort that is always available to us. And it just isn't going to work. Now, what this is really attempting to do, this, this teaching, is to show us how we are building ourselves in stages upon seeking and leaning into life for assurance of something that life can give us. And we started out noticing that every experience has a feeling tone associated with it. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, but there's a feeling tone associated with every experience. And then the sense of self begins to form around the desire to perpetuate that feeling. It leans into the feeling or away from the feeling in order to perpetuate it, in order to get more of it, to lean and rest one's life upon it. <clears throat> and that, in order to do that, it requires us thinking ourselves out of what reality really is into a thought form that can perpetuate or try to grasp or try to maintain the level of comfort we have. Because reality can't sustain the level of comfort we have, but our thoughts can. And so what we try to do is sustain the level of comfort that isn't available in reality through our thinking and through our approach to life by saying, okay, well, it slipped away this time, but if I was more careful or if I was more successful or if I could just get the right ingredients, next time I can prolong this bit more. And so I'll try to prolong reality's comfort level by increasing my skill at playing the game of life. I'll get a better spouse, I'll get a better next door neighbor, I'll get a better house. And in this way, I'll set up the ground so that I can have more success at what? Resting on pleasure. And so the sense of self begins to form itself within that pursuit. And anytime you then have set up life, so that there is a goal, an aim, towards a feeling tone, you have then brought in the polarity of life uh, to bear upon your living experience. That polarity means that you'll have an equal amount of tension in which there won't be the pleasure that you're seeking. 
that time will be equally divided between the pleasure you're seeking and the pain you're trying to avoid. And that the more you lean towards the pleasure, the more the annoyance of the unpleasant. It's directly proportional. Right? If you really want pleasure, you're really going to hate the unpleasant qualities as they arise. And that division within the polar opposites is set up from the sense of self through its need to procure and to continue the lasting benefits of where it's leaning. And so we, just, we have to sober up here that this is a false nirvana that this is not going to have lasting happiness for us. And so eventually what Buddhism is attempting to do is to keep us from leaning at all, so that we sit up straight, so that we have a different relationship to the whole array of experiences, and therefore don't lose ourselves within any particular one. When we don't lose ourselves within any particular feeling tone, then experiences come and go, are completely abided within, but are not upsetting or reactive in relationship to how they move through our sense of presence. In fact, the sense of self doesn't even form when there isn't a leaning towards or away from an experience. It's the very leaning towards or away from an experience that is the separation that we now, uh, we now uh, just take for granted as you sitting there and me sitting here. Perceiving from that separation is because of a sense of leaning within a variety of subtle ways that the mind is doing actively moment after moment. So this is not a small undertaking that we're doing when we are looking at feeling tones. And what happens is that with this expectation of wanting to get away from the unpleasant and towards the pleasant, there are two things now that pleasure start me starts representing. It starts representing pleasure for its own sake, and it starts representing the ability to, uh, to, uh, to separate ourselves from the unpleasant. So moving towards the pleasant at the same time, we begin to extract ourselves from the sense of this abiding incompletion that most of us feel uh, most of the time. <clears throat> so pleasure represents a state in which we can get out of the normal state that we're in, which is, is the, the kind of uh, summation of our life, which is the feeling of lacking. Now, where does that feeling of lacking come from? It comes because we can't maintain pleasure. And we don't feel that we have lived up to the worth of our lives. And so there's this, in, we invoke a feeling of having been somehow insufficient in our lives because we can't sustain the pleasure that life is supposed to be about. And because we so want it, then we, uh, and we can't seem to maintain it, we think it's just us that uh, is having this horrible experience in our life and nobody seems to be talking about it. Other people seem to be promoting it. Every television channel I'm on seems to can't get any better than that commercial. Commercials seem to indicate that everybody is resting on a level of comfort that I can't even approach. 
where do we think the unworthiness or the insufficiency comes from? It comes in comparison to that. We come up less than. And so this abiding sense of insufficiency turns itself into a kind of hunger, doesn't it? A kind of hunger. You ever notice you just go to the refrigerator door and just stare? <laughs> There's nothing in there you particularly want, but you want to take away the hunger, the wanting that has uh, that the psyche has maintained over time. Or just watch yourself throughout the day. It's very interesting when we start watching ourselves because this, this feeling of lacking, of just, I call it incompletion because it's really a sense of incompletion, just kind of drives the day. And it's, and it's because of the way we have leaned or expect life to pr promote the pleasurable element. We really believe that we're just not living up to the potential of what life could offer and that somehow when we're living within this kind of wanting spirit, this sort of lethargy of being, it's because it is lethargic. After a number of years within this, this ambiance of wanting, of insufficiency, it, there's a dullness that can come, a dullness that can take a hold of us. We don't even, we, our, our efforts are half, half efforts. We, don't, we can't even arouse the vitality, the intrinsic vitality that most of us had early on. We, we feel defeated in our very approach to living. And th it's, this is where uh, Dharma has something to say. This is where the Dharma can, there's a word in Pali called Chandra. It's zest, zest, to reignite that spirit, that vitality of energy that has been held captive because of the dullness, the lethargy of spirit in which we can be captured. Uh, and just, just in comparison, just in our looking over at our neighbors and seeing that we don't measure up, on and on. <clears throat> and so, there's a payoff and a pain that we have to realize in terms of this uh, pleasure seeking. Uh, and we have to see, first of all, what the payoff is. The payoff is that pleasure has given us a direction and meaning for our life. That if to be successful, we build a better level of comfort. We have more moments of pleasure. Now we can define pleasure in lots of different ways. You can, children might be pleasurable to you, or whatever it is. But the feeling tone itself can represent anything. So say, well, no, I don't think that. I, I wanted children. Well, why? Because children were pleasant to you. They, they had a positive attribute, something that you were wishing for and were pleasant in terms of the definition you were giving. And so when you... When we build our life around, the purpose and point, really, is to derive as much feeling tone in a positive direction as possible from life, and to offset the discomforts of life in that attempt. And this is for most people, not all, everybody has this uh, in their core issues, but most of us start out with that, especially uh, 
we, and we can't find it. That's the reason we come to Dharma. It's that all of you are blessed by not having had it sufficiently. Or you had it sufficiently and lost it. And that's a blessing. Because now you have the wisdom from that loss that says, wow, that was good, but it wasn't that good. <laughs> and you realize that any more pursuit in that direction is essentially empty. And it just isn't worthwhile doing it anymore. But there are three levels of pain, of pleasure, that we have to be very clear of in order to see the limitation of the pursuit we're in. And each of these levels of pain must be really understood. Now this is not an intellectual exercise. And some of us are re relating to Dharma intellectually. It feels intellectually satisfying to have, and in fact, more pleasurable to have a deeper uh, conceptual understanding of what life is about. But it does nothing to get you off the wheel of that seeking just to have an intellect or philosophy that is deeper in some ways than the cultural, cultural, uh, uh, the cultural understanding. And this is, this is where I call from you. I call it out of you here. You have to step up on this one. You have to see it. You have to realize this. This has to be a direct realization, not a conceptual, it's not up here at all. It's when you are living and you perceive it. And that's why we ask people not to come to this class who haven't had a basic understanding, a basic orientation to meditation practice because it is through insight, meditation, that we can perceive what our life is doing on an ongoing basis and be finished with that pursuit entirely. Otherwise, it remains philosophical and nothing more than a sermon at a church. So what are these three things? The first one we've already talked a little bit about. I'd just like to go into a little more. And that's the pain of insufficiency driving the seeking. That what's driving the seeking is an uncomfortable level of pain in us. And it's from that pain that we seek an alternative. Wanting is the after effects, is the residue of living of life in which we have pursued pleasure. Because we, we become addicted to wanting. And so what is left in us is the wanting, is the leaning. We don't even care where we're leaning towards. All we want is some sort of satisfaction within that leaning where we can uh, be comfortable once more. <clears throat> and to get a sense of what's pushing our desire system, what's behind it here? Do we even realize that there's this ongoing white noise of wanting within us, this sense of discontentedness within us? Do we even realize that? Or are, you just, or are we just acting from it all the time? Is it just the next thing that we do is that we try to alleviate, give us some sense of pleasure so that we don't have to uh, have any relationship at all to this nagging sense of discontent. But that's not Dharma. Dharma is to actually honor to every experience has an equal validity 
including that which seems to be unconsciously driving and take the unconscious and put it right on our lap. Let's see what this, this wanting is about. Let's see its derivation, what it's trying to get me to do. Can I feel it? Am I willing to feel it? And as we begin to notice, this wanting is never con completely synchronized with the present moment. The present moment, when it's felt, only holds the discontent of the wanting. Why would I want to remain here where I'm already discontent? What I want to do is fix the discontentedness, so I'm looking into the future for some way to alleviate the problem that the now contains. So now is a worthless time frame, you see? It doesn't, doesn't hold any uh, resolution for me. It's, just a, it's, it's like having a toothache. You're waiting for the dentist's office. All the time spent waiting for the toothpaste, you just as soon die and show up at the dentist's office. Or maybe you would show up after the dentist's office. But you want the toothache alleviated. And so here is a, uh, is a conduit uh, for the future. It's a, it's, it's a pass over. It's not to even be perceived. So if we are unaware of the discontentedness within us, then that discontentedness assures that the present moment is not going to be validated. It's not, it's not going to be invested in at all. And yet the whole of the Dharma rests there. But because we haven't been willing to feel this sense of lacking and honestly look at it, we think it's just in us, that somehow it shows what we fear the most. Because see, once this thing gets lodged into our psyche, then it starts, its root system starts traveling into more and more subtle areas of our self-assumptions. And we think, well, it's just us. Nobody shares their lacking or discontentedness with each other. It must just be in me. And therefore, I must be lacking. And therefore, I must be worthless. And therefore, I must be inherently sort of behind everyone else in some way. So I'm not going to show that to anyone. I'm going to overcompensate in my actions in every possible way so that nobody suspects that of me. In fact, I'm going to close myself off from that so I don't have to even address that myself. So that I don't have to look honestly at that level of pain in myself. And now we have a closed system. And it keeps us moving in terms of pleasure because we see everybody else doing it and we just assume that that's the logical course of a valid life. Never mind that everyone inside, deeply, if you just scratch the surface a little bit, is hurting terribly within oneself because of the sense of pretension in moving counter to the authentic and natural intrinsic qualities that are here with us already. Feel the malaise. Feel it. Be sincere about that. Be willing to look at it. Be willing to see it within oneself. Because life, even if this is a 
trap door and I'm sending you to the to some hell realm where you'll never be it's still better than pretending at the level that we do and chasing or running from the belief of our own unworthiness still is a better no hell could be worse than the hell we are already in So as I was mentioning, uh, as we look around and we see that others have it and we don't, well, there's a whole level of envy that comes from that analysis, judgment and jealousy and complaining. I mean, these are the, these are the pain issues of seeking and uh, dissatisfactions with myself, as I mentioned. Uh, also an increased need to fantasize because the more pain we're in the more thought represents a way out of that pain and the more treacherous we feel within the closed door of our system the only way out of that is to fantasize ourselves into some other aspect and so we live in very uh, vivid fantasy realms of thought and until that starts crashing down to earth, because it has to at some point. In this ongoing sense of inward poverty that many of us feel, leads to a kind of a melancholy. Many, I think much of the depression that we see uh, in the culture today is because of this kind of repressed melancholy of of the of where we have staked the purpose and point of our life and and I'm a residue a residual sense of fear that uh, we're being left behind somehow that life has a meaning that we're somehow just not in alignment with or somehow we're missing the point of why we're living at all and then you get 30 40 50 years old and you just feel like you just you know you just keep shooting at the target and you're not hitting anything and it becomes very a very much a limitation when we trace it back to the seeking from this pleasurable orientation to life so that's a limitation but it's not a limitation if you don't follow the trajectory of the arrow why you're even pulling the bow back what you're looking for and whether you've actually found what you're looking for and what you're looking for how it's driving a particular issue of pain within you if you haven't connected the dots in that way then you'll just keep shooting at the target so that's, that's where we have to be independent of the, of the cultural um, power that advertisements and television and entertainment offer us. 
they want to keep us on that trajectory because it sells things. If you don't think you're as good as the person next to you, well, you can buy a better car. Now, the second limitation of pursuit and seeking pain is the pain inherent in wanting itself. The first was the pain that is driving the seeking. We seek out of our discomfort to something which will cover over and placate that discomfort for a while. That's the first level of pain. The second one is the pain of the seeking itself. And we say, what is the pain of the seeking itself? Grasping at the pleasant. You see, as the dependent origination scheme unfolds, you have contact, and in the immediacy of contact, you have a pleasant feeling or unpleasant, but let's say this is a pleasant feeling arising. And then the self forming around that pleasant feeling as it's coming up and manifesting as an embodied sense of me and moving in the direction of further prolongation of that feeling tone, and then a grasping after that feeling tone, and a continual journeying of a race towards that feeling tone. You can just feel yourself coming into, into life within that journey, that very instantaneous journey. <clears throat> and so you say, okay, well, let me look at a desire. What is a desire? Why, why would there be any pain within a desire? Well, look at a desire. It is painful, isn't it? If you see what what makes it seem as if it's not is that you keep fantasizing that you already have the object, and that feels the object, the image feels pleasant, but the actual reality of not having because you haven't had it, you don't have it yet, is very unpleasant, and the sense that I need to bridge the difference between what I have and what I want that that movement out of oneself is very unpleasant to feel. Take any simple object of your desires, like chocolate. <laughs> and you say to yourself, okay, I really want some chocolate. So you take the chocolate, and I've done this, and you put it right in front of you, and you don't, you don't let yourself have it. And just tell me whether that's a pleasant feeling or not. <laughs> So you start, you just, you just, okay, that's it. I'm finished with this game, right? So you take, you right? Because that'll drive you to that point. So you take whatever is the object of choice, the experience of choice, you, then you taste it. Now you're, you're tasting the chocolate and still the desire is there, right? It's still like, oh, the desire. So, but now there's some pleasant sensations occurring which ameliorate the desire. So the, the pain of the desire is, is being brought to bear upon a pleasant sensation of taste. But still the desire is activated because what? This is the, t the chocolate has not been swallowed. Now you swallow it and there's a moment, perhaps a pause of the desire. The desire is no longer active. And you realize that what you really wanted wasn't so much the chocolate, what was the end of the desire. And you say, whoa, you wanted both. 
but equal to the desire for the chocolate was the end of the was the wanting of the end of the desire. The desire the, is such a um, difficult state of mind, but we just we just take it as a fact of life. You know, I have to go through this. This drives me to what I want. To, gives me the goals I want in life. Nonsense. It doesn't give you the goal. It's a completely conditioned phenomena that has been, you're incarcerated within it from the culture and you're just, we just live out our cultural patterns within this form and place of desire. And if I had the right mechanism, whatever your experience or your most fascinating sense of pleasure was, and I could, I could s simply manipulate you in whatever way I chose if I knew what that experience was and I could set up the right environment for that to be played out. And you say, well, my God, you know, there's irritation in desire. So I'm being pushed by the irritation of the desire and pulled by my desire for the taste of chocolate. So it's a push-pull. And then we have the peace of actually having chosen to chew the chocolate and swallow it, but well, how long does that peace last? We say, this is the real nirvana, right? No, that's another false nirvana. Because the, the peace lasts as long as the space between desires. The mind doesn't turn itself off because it had a piece of chocolate. Now it wants other things. Now I want to eat a glass of milk to go with it. <laughs> or more chocolate or can turn back on itself with aversion, with shame, and thinking, oh God, I left my diet, right? And now we become the whipping person of the desire that we, do you see how this thing, this is madness. And so the restlessness, the restlessness of desire, to start feeling that, to feel, well, okay, desire is supposed to be so, you know, So at the root cause of our suffering, let me see what that root cause of our suffering is about. Let me look at this thing. Let me, let me really investigate this sense of desire. And again, it's not an intellectual, it's an actual willingness to come into the level of experience and feeling, physiological and psychologically, how there's this... And in the, in the screams of the mind, the need, I have to, I must, the kind of absolute language that we give ourselves. So that's the second pain of pleasure seeking. So we have what pushes ourselves, what pleasure is seeking pleasant away from the pain of our kind of existential condition of incompleteness. We have the pain that the desire invokes in its, its arising. 
And now we have the pain of the separation that must be there when and through desire. The pain of the separation. So how does that, what does that look like? You see, every time we decide we want something, we have to separate it out from everything else, don't we? We have to make it stand alone. You can't want union. Union, you're a part of union. There's no you standing a separate from. Everything, if it's, everything is one, there's no way that you can want union and find it. You have to concede the point of wanting in order to find it. But we won't concede that point because we think, and as long as we think that we're in control of our lives and have some availability with our force of will to be able to procure what we want, we're going to select out. And as soon as the mind establishes a preference from a whole array of possibilities, then it separates itself away from that possibility and now it has to move towards that possibility in order for it to be obtained. Never mind that before you separated yourself out, it was very close at hand. In fact, it was universally present. Now, for some reason, our mind, see, our mind starts configuring the world so that we can have some empowerment within it. To do that, I have to separate it out. And how do I find my powers? I procure my desires. That's how I show my power or I avoid my difficulties. That's how I flex my muscles, my psychic muscles in life. To show you how worthwhile I am, I can show you my muscle, my psychic muscle. How easily I can get what I want or avoid what I don't want. And to do that, we have to create, create differences. We have to create differences. It's like when you're sitting, right? You're sitting. Sounds, everything is to be uh, addressed equally within the sitting. That's the definition of meditation. You're not selecting out. You're just letting everything be as it is. Suddenly, you find yourself your back hurting, your knees are painful, you're tired of sitting. What are you really waiting for? <laughs> it was just another sound. But the mind made it into something and emphatically invested energy in that sound. And so now, even though you were irritated prior to the ringing of the bell, once the bell is rung, now you can sit forever. <laughs> Why? Because the desire for the end of the sitting is already passed. And much of the irritation that was in the sitting prior to the bell ringing was the irritation of the desire itself for this sitting to end. Focusing on one thing divides the world into many things. And among those that the division occurs is, is sense of self and other. And that's an intrinsic existential pain that most of us live ongoingly with. 
because we have rested our life upon the system of avoidance and grasping. Now, what? let's bring practice into this. And in a minute and a half. <laughs> are we in touch with the desires that are arising? Do you know that? That's, I give that the third lecture of a beginning series. Know the hindrances. When they arise, got it. Nothing ever happens. Nothing is ever resolved. Nothing can ever be understood without awareness. Knowing what's arising. Seeing the value, what I'm, why am I chasing this? I'm chasing it for some reason. Don't just condemn the fact that I'm chasing I shouldn't be desiring. Why, what is it I'm getting out of this? What, I, well, I'm investing a lot of meaning. And, and I'm, I'm purpose in my life. For what? For where the desire is taking me. Which is what? What's basically there? What is it, what is it really that I'm... Well, I want the pleasure from the pleasantness from it. And what is it that's driving me towards that pleasantness? Well, I've just, I don't feel whole. I don't feel complete in myself. I feel like this nagging sense of... of just something slightly off about me. And the desire will fix. That's what the point is. That if the car or the washing machine or the cigarette, that'll fix it, won't it? Does it? <coughs> Does it? There's no God up here to plead. This has to be understood at our level of interaction. This is down and dirty work. This is why we carve our meditation out of our lives and don't seek refuge all the time as a monastic. Because it's in the down and dirty work that we can come to the very understanding we need to free ourselves. And not in some sublime environment in which much of the distractibility and much of the desiring has been eliminated. What's the course of wanting? From what? From a feeling. So let me just sense that. Sense of the feeling. What happens to me? Where, how do I arise? What's the sense of me in a, and how it arises in relationship to this very simple feeling? And how do emotions and thoughts express themselves through desires? And how convincing, the, the convincing quality of it is usually carried through that emotion and the accompanying narrative around it. And what am I trying to find completion from? In this moment, I try to find completion. The path of the meditation is to find completion in this moment. Don't look outside of this moment for completion. Which means what? I have to deal with the sense of being incomplete in this moment. If I'm ever going to be free of the propensity to move out of the moment because I feel incomplete. Okay, I've got to stop here. Some, I've got to stop. I've got to arrest this forever momentum 
of looking beyond here towards there. All right, so out everything comes. Okay, everybody, Ollie Owen free. No more hiding. This is, game's over. Come on, all around us here now. What's behind me? Come on out. And I feel incomplete. I feel worthless. I don't care. Just come on out because I'm not running from you anymore. Done. It's over. No more game. So feeling the incompleteness. Now in that, asking yourself, right? Is awareness incomplete? I'm feeling incomplete. Is awareness incomplete? Because when we stop, when we arrest the movement, something else comes into the moment. Something else that we have never even considered because we have been so we've been so uh, exaggerated in our need to, to move into the next frame of reference, the next time frame, that we've never even considered what, could hold, what the moment could hold that could show us a resolution to the entire life of conflict. And so I said, okay, whoa, there's something else in here besides just me. Presence, awareness. Is awareness desiring? Awareness just is. And that I have to be willing to feel the incompleteness to come to awareness because up until this point, the incompleteness has sent me off fantasizing about becoming complete. Now the incompleteness is a cue in and of itself not to move. And now desire is over. It's over. When we're no longer enslaved to the emotional state as being the truth of our being. And no experience is supported or denied in meditation. None. No support. No experience. Where is contentment in this moment? Where is contentment in this moment? Every time we start feeling that, wait a second, where is there contentment in this moment? I had enough of that. It isn't working. I'm bruised, I'm beaten, I'm scarred. I look at my life and I have to, be, have to sum it up and say, you know what? It's all been chasing the pleasant and avoiding the unpleasant. Enough. If there's contentment, it can't be in that pursuit. I haven't found it and no one I know has really found it either, despite their pretension. And therefore, where is contentment in this moment? Period. Dead stop. Dead stop to all of us. Can we sit for a minute or two?
Now, Dharma is not easy. For those of you who are casually here, your energy can disrupt and influence those who are really sincere. I ask you to come with sincerity. And that way it strengthens the entire gathering. Is this important to you? Is it important? Answer that question. Not as a casual hobby. And as we sit, how do we sit? Is there a come what may openness? Or is there a picking and leaning towards whatever experience feels the most beneficial? within the array of experiences that are occurring. Am I following the same patterns in my meditation that I'm following in my life? Am I just reinforcing the same conditioning? And how is that ever going to take me anywhere but reinforcing the same quality of my life through my meditation. Okay, we have just a few minutes for any questions that might want, so if there's any questions that you have, I'd be happy to try to answer. Yes. So the question is, uh, if, if you actually drop something, you, you drop your, if you see that desire isn't helpful and that you drop the energy towards moving in relationship to this constant grasping, what, how can you make decisions in life? You know, I, let me just frame that question a little differently. The mind will always come up with a reason why it shouldn't do what it knows it needs to do. It'll always give you false reasons not to proceed. If your practice hasn't taken you to those false reasons yet, it will. Well, will I be passive? Will this make me passive? I think this will make me passive. Therefore, I don't think I should do this. This will take me away from my 
activist, act, being an activist, which means so much to me. It will always give you a reason not to do it. And what's interesting is that for those of you who feel that and continue anyway, that it leads to a complete abandonment even of the question. You don't even, the question never even arises again. You see that the heart's engagement holds its own orientation. That activism is as there as it's ever been. And your passion has not been diminished. It's been, it's been actually encouraged through this process. But now you have clarity where you used to have confusion. And now what the, where the decisions come from are the clarity from no longer being compelled by a particular condition phenomena. And you can look and see what a wise movement or action is. Where before it was just a matter of knee-jerk response from an old condition pattern. But we'll never know that because we keep arguing ourselves against the very mechanism, the very alignment that would allow that clarity to unfold. So don't let your mind, det it's, not going to, it's not going to be a friend on this journey. It's going to argue you every step of the way that life is more useful when you're productive and useful and going after it the same way everyone else is, and all of that. It's about your time for meditation will have a rose in the morning and you'll say, well, better to vacuum the rug. <laughs> At least I'll get something done. It will forever argue against establishing yourself on this path. If you listen to the arguments of the mind, you're essentially defeated before you begin. That's what we come here for. Because everybody meets those arguments in their mind. And they think they're real. And it's okay, fine, please bring them out. Because here we can expose them as a false argument. And you don't have to take my word. Just talk to one of the mentors who are up here after I leave. And see whether they haven't learned the same thing people who are within your range of experience level, see if they haven't gone through the same hindrance that you are. Because it's amazingly like, it, it's amazingly similar how each of us journey through this mental phenomena. Amazingly similar. You see, I don't have to be so wise and interesting. You have to, after about a year, I've heard everything. And so then you just refine your answers, really. <laughs> okay, really, that's all the time we have this evening, but I want to thank everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.